talking about the rise and fall of King Saul. And last week we looked at Saul's rise and how he became king of Israel. We saw Saul literally go from hiding in a pile of luggage, uh, trying to escape the calling God had put on his life, uh, he goes from there to being surrounded by people whose hearts God has touched, uh, to being the king of Israel. And so today we're gonna continue with that rise, basically all the way to the peak. And as we go through the life of Saul, we're gonna see these two threads over and over and over again. It's your friends are gonna dictate your destination. Who you surround yourself with is gonna determine where you go. Uh, it's just how it works. The other thread is that you need to remember where you came from. Right? That God is the one who's working things together. When I say remember where you came from, it's remember we gotta be humble and remember that God is the one doing it because all of us are prone to be prideful. We're prone to fill ourselves up. After we have experiences and success, we think, I did that. No, we need to remember that it's God who's doing it. So today we're gonna see Saul pass this test of success, right? To have those mountaintop moments and to stay humble, to remember where he's from, to remember that God is the one who's moving. And so today, before we get into the word, I just want us to take a moment and to get ready, right, to invite God in his face. So if you guys would do this with me, just hands out, palms up. It's not the Macarena, all right? Uh, if you close your eyes, uh, it's, just, it's just a posture of surrender. Uh, take a deep breath. Remember that God is just as near as that air you're breathing. God, would you give us tender hearts uh, to your word this morning? Help us to put away the frustrations from this past week uh, and to put away the distractions of the coming week so we can focus fully on you and what you have for us. Uh, we come empty, uh, nothing to offer but surrender. Fill us this morning as only you can. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, last week we ended with Saul uh, returning home. Uh, and he goes home and he's surrounded by these men who, who's God, who have been touched by God. Uh, and they've had this personal encounter with God. And so Saul, he's 30 years old when he's the king of Israel. All right, who's 30? Any 30-year-olds in here, all right? One, all right, Jay, you're Saul today, okay? Hey, he's 30 years old when he becomes the king of a country. And so he's 30 years old. He's gonna end up reigning for 40 years. We're gonna get into that in the next couple of weeks. But just one month, one month into his kingship, something happens. There's some conflict. Um, and so we're gonna look at that. Uh, hey, we do this thing. Whenever there's a word in yellow on the screen, I want you guys to say it out loud for me. You got me? There's about to be some yellow on the screen. That's why I said that, okay? You ready? Let's go. About one month later, King... You guys did really good. I did two hard words to see what you guys would do, and you guys did it exactly right. There's a trick that I learned in Bible college. This is a trick. It'll help you in your personal walk. You don't know how to say something? Just say it confident and quick, and you'll be good, okay? You guys crushed it. You guys crushed it. All right, hey, you don't really have to say the yellow. I was just gonna bless you. About one month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. All right, so there's this king of Ammon, right, King Nahash, and he comes to attack this Israelite town. And the, the people in the town, they want peace. They say, make a treaty with us, for we will be your servants, they pleaded. All right, so this Ammonite king, he comes, he's like, hey, I'm gonna take this over. And the people in the town say, hey, instead of killing us, uh, just let's make a treaty and we'll be your servants, right? So I don't wanna die, so I'll serve 
you. And so in verse two, it tells us he, what the king says is, all right, but on one condition, I will gouge the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all of Israel. Hey, I'm not gonna kill you, but I want your right eye. I want you to think about the price that this Ammonite king is asking. Uh, First of all, it's humiliation for the rest of your life, that you surrendered your eye. He's saying, if you don't fight me, I'll spare your life, but it's gonna cost you the ability to ever fight back again, right? Because think about it, most of us have, everybody has a dominant eye. It's not always like this, but for the majority of us, if you're right-handed, it's also gonna be your right eye. Most people are right-eye dominant, right? You lose your right eye, you're gonna lose your depth perception, it's gonna decline tremendously. Uh, And when he's saying that, he's saying the cost of you, the cost of this treaty is really, you'll never be able to fight again. You're gonna have to roll over to every battle and agree to whatever the terms are. You can't do things with just one eye in a battle. So how do the people in this town respond uh, to this condition? It tells us in verse three. It says, give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel. Uh, If no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms. So hey, they're in a tight spot. They basically say, hey, uh, let's circle back in a week. We're gonna explore other options and see what we can come up with. And so here's what happens when they send out those messengers. When the messengers came to Gibba of Saul and told the people about their plight, everyone broke into tears. Saul, 30-year-old, one-month Saul, had been plowing a field with his oxen. The work of a king, right? Plowing a field with his ox. Okay. And when he returned to town, he asked, what's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message. I want to just stop for a second. What was Saul doing? This is the newly appointed king. He's a, a month in. He'd been plowing his field with his ox or his oxen. He's out doing the work of servants, uh, the work of laborers. Uh, doesn't he realize he is the king? At this point in Saul's life, he doesn't consider himself above anyone or above any work. That work is a good picture of his heart posture, right? That he, he's humble. He's willing to do what needs to be done. So when Saul hears about the treaty that is before an Israel, uh, Israelite town, here's what it says in verse six. Here's how Saul responds. Then the spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he became very angry, very angry. Uh, but it says the spirit of God came upon him powerfully. Now, he doesn't just get angry. He actually directs his anger to, to rally the troops. We'll get there in just a second. Uh, this is such a, there is such a thing called righteous anger, right? Uh, I think this is a good example of it. It says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he became angry, right? When you're walking close with Jesus, there's gonna be times where emotions are gonna rise up and there's gotta be a discerning factor of, is this just my flesh? Like, am I just mad because I didn't get what I wanted? Or is this of God? Is this something I really do need to be upset about? Is this emotion uh, moving me to action or is it just moving me to be in my feelings, to be upset? And I think one way to discern it, is this of my flesh or is this of the Lord, is, is it pushing you to action, right? Uh, we see Jesus, right? Jesus, he flipped tables because they made God's church a marketplace. His righteous anger wasn't just for him to be angry, to be upset about it, right? 
he was moved to action. His, his thought was, get these jabronis out of my house. Right? These people do not need to be selling stuff in the church. He's moved to action. It's not just this emotion that sits there and makes him uncomfortable. He does something about it. Uh, Jesus loves you. His love wasn't just a feeling, it was an action. He went all the way to the cross because he loved you. Is this emotion that I'm feeling, is it my flesh, my sin nature, or is it the spirit? God is calling you to action. God is calling you to live on mission. Every time we see Jesus filled with an emotion, it is immediately followed by an action. Not an action to build up himself, but to build up his people. And I'm gonna get up on my soapbox for a second and just say, there are too many believers who act angry about things when they're really just complaining instead of doing something. Like, just to be real, uh, there are people who are there, the Christians on Facebook who just say negative things about everything, and it's like, man, why would anybody want that faith where you just complain? It's easy to complain. It's hard to create better outcomes. It's easy to complain. It's hard to create better outcomes. God doesn't want us to do the former, but the latter. So Saul, he's filled with this holy anger. He's filled with God. And what is he going to do about it? This seems a little weird to us, but he's filled with the spirit. Look at this, what it says he does in verse seven. He took two oxen. Uh, I don't know if it's the same one he was using. We don't know, but he takes two oxen and cut them into pieces and sent the messengers to carry them throughout Israel with this message. He cut them into pieces. He butchered them up. This is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. Scare tactic maybe, getting a little intimidation. And here's, here's how the people respond. And the Lord, remember Saul was filled with the Lord and then the Lord does this. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger and all of them came out together as one. So Saul comes like, hey, part of our nation is in trouble. We've got this town, they are in trouble. If one part of us is in trouble, that means we are in trouble. If you don't come help us, this is the price you're gonna pay. I'm gonna destroy your oxen. That's basically what he's saying. Uh, and then it says that they all came together as one. And why did they all come together as one? Is it because Saul was super intimidating? No, it actually says the Lord made. The Lord made people afraid of Saul's anger. And, and to go back, why, why was Saul angry? because the spirit had filled him, the spirit had powerfully come upon him. Was Saul on the move or was God on the move, right? God was on the move. Yes, God is moving through Saul, there's no doubt about it, but the emphasis for us isn't Saul, but God. God is on the move. So Saul gives this message to everywhere and uh, they respond really well. It, it talks about it in the next verse. Saul found that there were 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. All right, they've got a battle, and now they've got the Jimmys and Joes to make this thing happen, all right? They've got more than enough men to defeat the Ammonites. So uh, they've got the men, but remember, they've got this seven-week timeline where they gotta get back to uh, the people that are invading them. So Saul sent the messengers back to Jebesgiliad to say, we will rescue you to noontime tomorrow. There was great joy throughout the town when that message had arrived. Maybe a little understated, great joy. You're gonna go from losing an eye to a high probability of winning this thing, right? Uh, I think that they were pretty jacked up about it. But now they know these people are coming. They know they're gonna have Saul and his army come. What are they gonna do about it? Because the next day is the seventh day. Here's what it says. The men of Jabesh then told their enemies, tomorrow we'll come out to you and you can do to us whatever you wish. They tell the Ammonites like, hey, 
we're gonna come out tomorrow. You guys do this what you want, like take our right eyes. Now, they don't really mean this. They just don't want the enemy to know that they've got over a quarter of a million men coming to fight for them. And here's how that battle goes the next day. But before dawn the next morning, Saul arrived. Having divided his army into three detachments, he launched a surprise attack against the Ammonites and slaughtered them the whole morning. The remnant of their army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. So the army of Israel comes, these 330,000 men, and they demolish the Ammonites. Uh, the ones that got away are so few and far between. Like they, there's no pairs that got out. They are completely alone. I think you could label that a victory. Remember where Saul has come. One month prior to this, he is hiding in the luggage because he doesn't want them to call him the king. How did he get here? It says he was filled with the spirit. God is moving. He surrounded himself with people whose hearts had been touched by God. Remember, there's people that were chirping back at him. He ignored the scoundrels, those scoundrels that said, uh, we don't want this nobody. Who is this Saul, son of Kish? We don't want this nobody to be king. And just one month later, this nobody rallies a large group of troops and saves Israel from the Ammonites. And Saul, he ignored the scoundrels. We talked about that last week. But other people... Uh, definitely heard what they said, right? As the kids would say, they kept receipts on what they were saying about Saul. So here's, here's their plan. Then the people exclaimed to Samuel, now where were those men who said, why should Saul rule over us? Remember, there's this remnant of people who are like, we don't want Saul, we don't want him to be our king. Where are those people at? Like, did you see this victory? Here's what they wanna do. Bring them here and we will kill them. Isn't that what... We like to do, right? Maybe not kill people, right? They can mess us up. But when people wrong us, what's the first thing we want to say? When people thought one thing and they were wrong and we were right, there's a four-phrase thing. What is it? I told you so, right? We want to throw it back in their face. We want to rub it right back at them, all right? Make them pay for it. Those people who said, why should Saul rule over us? They were so wrong, they deserve to die. He just rallied the troops and saved us, killed the people who said he shouldn't be king. I want you to think about Saul, what he's thinking right now. He could have said, how dare these people deny God's appointed king, right? He just got, we talked about last week, confirmation after confirmation, this is God's man. He could do that. But Saul, he doesn't respond that way. He actually goes a different route. He replied, no one will be executed today, for today the Lord has rescued Israel. He says, don't kill him because God has rescued us. He doesn't say, I have rescued us. He says, God has rescued us. The Lord has rescued Israel. He's remembering where his victory comes from. It isn't from Saul's hands. It isn't his power and ability. His victory comes from God. He's being faithful to the calling that God has for him. God is doing the work. Remember, it was God who filled Saul with the spirit. It was God who motivated the men to join the battle. It was God who gave them victory over the Ammonites. Why should Saul take credit for something that God has done? I think this is my favorite part of this uh, particular story. Uh, he, Saul, he says, hey, God has rescued Israel, but he doesn't just leave it there and say God has done this. It's easy to say things. 
It's easy to say what you believe. It's another thing to actually live it out. And that's what Saul does here. Then Samuel said to the people, let us go to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. So they all went to Gilgal in a solemn ceremony before the Lord. They made Saul king. Then they offered peace offerings to the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites were filled with joy. Now Saul was already uh, the king, but they wanted to have a serious ceremony, uh, not for the people, but for God. And they gave offerings to God. In other words, they made it official before the Lord and then they worshiped the Lord. Saul didn't say, uh, God did this, he did it. He didn't just say it and go back to his normal life, uh, which at the time was running his oxen through the fields, right? He said, God rescued us. Let's go worship God. God took care of me in the storm. I'm gonna worship him after the storm. I think we all have a tendency to forget God when things are going well, when things are going good, when things are going the way that I want them to go. It's like, I don't even, like, why would I go to God? Like, things are going good. I go to him when things are bad. Saul passes the test of success. He goes and worships God after this victory. Saul has been living in the favor of God because he is humble before God. He knows that God is doing the work. He knows that God is the one bringing victory. Uh, If we fast forward a few chapters here, I think it captures just how things are going for Saul uh, in one, one verse. It says, Now, when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against Moab, Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines, and wherever he turned, he was victorious. That's like everything he did turned to gold. God was with him. His victory was from God. We could look at every one of these battles and see how not Saul and his, his wisdom. Actually, sometimes Saul gets in the way and God overcomes it, but how God provided victory for him. And what I wanna do is I wanna zoom in on one of the more well-known battles and actually look at it from the viewpoint of Saul because most of us, when we hear this next story, uh, we tend to go to somebody else. But this is when Saul is the king. You guys have probably heard of David and Goliath, all right? That story happened when Saul is the king. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, we're gonna go quick through it. Uh, Israel and the Philistines are at war with each other. The Philistines have their best warrior and he's mocking Israel, he is mocking God. Uh, It says this, just a few verses later, a few chapters later, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. All right, Goliath is a giant. It says right before this, he's about nine feet tall. It goes through his armor, it's it's intense. He taunts the Israelites, why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me, all right, hey, your best against our best. Not that many people have to die. Your best against ours. Come fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. You have a giant who's on the other team. He's mocking them. He's mocking their God. And when they hear this, they are deeply shaken. They are terrified. And I think for somebody who, remember, we just read that verse, everywhere he turned, he was victorious. Why is he now scared? What's changed? Uh, 
there's a verse, something substantial has happened right before this, and we'll get into the details of it, why, but for now, I just want you to know this. In uh, the previous chapter, verse 14, it says this, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. We're gonna go into why that happened next week, but the reason Saul is terrified when he's looking at this literal giant taunting him, taunting his God, it's because God is no longer with him. The spirit of the Lord has left Saul. So what is Saul gonna do, right? He's, he's trying to scheme to come up with an idea to motivate his troops. So he says, hey, whoever defeats this Philistine giant, his family doesn't have to pay taxes for the rest of their lives. All right, sounds like a good deal. And you get to marry my daughter. You get to marry my daughter. So kill Goliath, your family, not just you, your entire family gets to live tax-free and you get to marry into the most powerful family in the country. The reward is huge, but so is the challenge, right? So David and Saul, they meet on the battlefield. David wants to go be the man. He wants to go take him down. David is uh, a shepherd for his dad. He's, he's doing the work of his father. Does that sound somewhat similar to Saul? At this point, he's, he's most likely a teenager. And here's, here's what he says. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine impossible. And you're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue it from the mouth rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord rescue me from the claws of the lion and the bear or rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. One last part that Saul tells him. And may the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with you. You have to think uh, what Saul is sitting here thinking. He's like, hey, I tried to stop the boy. I tried to stop him from going and fighting this giant. He persisted. He wants to do it. Um, at least this is just a boy. He's coming from, like, he's just a shepherd boy. He's, he's expendable. He's, he's young. He's not somebody who has, like, tremendous value right now. I guess we'll, I guess we'll go ahead and let him do it. And here's, here's how it goes down. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him. Sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Uh, that's what pride is, right? He can't handle me. You're sending a kid to come fight me? I'm a giant. I'm a man of war since my youth. He's sneering at him. He's full of himself. Here's how he says it. Am I a dog that you would come at me with a stick? He cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have to fight. 
Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give your dead bodies to the, of your men to the birds and wild animals. The whole world will know that there is a God here and everyone assembled there will know the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into a shepherd's bag, taking out a stone, he hurled it with the sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that, their champion was dead. They turned and ran. All right, there was, a, there was a lot there that we just got through. David goes and he, he, he doesn't say, I've got this. He doesn't say, I've killed uh, bears before. I've killed uh, lions before. I've taken my, the lambs out of their mouth. He says, no, God has rescued me from them and God is going to rescue me from you. Remember the last words that Saul said to David before he goes out? May the Lord be with you. And David, as he is getting ready to fight, says, the Lord will conquer you. He said, David says that to Goliath. He says, this is the Lord's battle. David is filled with God. And he's not fearful because he knows the battle belongs to God. David goes and he defeats Goliath. Uh, Saul actually asks one of the guys in his, in his uh, council there, he's like, hey, who's his dad? I'm sure he's worried about the taxes, right? He doesn't wanna lose any money there, right? But he asks about that, and then it says this. It says, right after he killed Goliath, Saul says, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. He wants this person who has been filled with God's spirit. Verse five says this. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over men of war. Saul made him a commander. Uh, he made an appointment where he welcomed by people and officers like Saul's. He did everything successfully. God was with him. Remember just... A few chapters back, it said something almost identical about Saul, right? And Saul doesn't know this yet, uh, but David's gonna be the next king of Israel. In this moment, Saul's probably thinking, God has given me provision through this young man, right? But really, God is working to set, God is working through David to set him up as the next king. Saul isn't concerned or threatened by David in this moment. He's just a boy. He sees God working in David's life and Saul says, I want to leverage that for my kingdom. Remember last time we looked at Saul, he, he won a battle and they went and they worshiped, worshiped God. This time they, they win a battle. Uh, they don't go worship God. He scoops up David and says, you're coming with me. Instead of being filled by God, he just says, hey, that guy's filled by God. Let's put him on the team. Don't settle for being God adjacent when you could have God moving in you. 
It might feel a little safer to be just near someone who God is moving in and to have God moving through you. Don't settle for that. God wants to fill you. He's calling you to do great things. I believe that. And Saul, he's, he's settled. Instead of seeking God to say, God, move in my life, fill my heart again, he, he doesn't do that. He says, God's moving here, bring him in. He, Saul is using David like he's playing a game. He's using David to succeed. Like, hey, everything David touches turns to gold. He's filled with the spirit. He has a heart for God. That used to be Saul. He doesn't seek God and say, I want that. He goes and takes it from somebody else and says, I'm gonna use that for me. He thinks it benefits him, Saul. Saul thinks it benefits him uh, because he has plans for David. He's gonna use David. Saul's got his own plans, and here's the truth. God has other plans for David. And today, that's where we're gonna stop Saul's story. This is really the, the peak of Saul's kingdom. Up to this point, it's been, it's been filled uh, by God. He has sought after God. Uh, he has used David as a man of God. Uh, but next week, we're gonna see this plan that Saul has of using other people that are filled with God, and we're gonna see it just fall right through his fingertips. I think we are all a little too much like Saul. Uh, we make plans, and we think that our, our strategy or our skill, that those things are gonna give us victory. It's not. Have a plan, work on your skills, develop, absolutely. Uh, there's a verse that, that I love, and it, it reminds me of this when I feel like I get scheming, I gotta remember this. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Victory belongs to God. There is no victory without God. There's no victory without God. And Saul, he's trying to, to leverage somebody else to do that. Instead of saying, God, I want you to fill me. I want you to do great things through me. I want, I want you back in my life. He just settles for having it being next to him. It's not our skills. It's not a strategy. It's not a plan. It's God who gives victory and God alone who gives victory. Let's pray.